You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. This is Greg and Doug Stokes with Lanyap Podcast. Today is Monday, January 30th. Uh, interesting week behind us, interesting week ahead. This particular week um, should be pretty volatile in the markets, as is evidenced by today, because like 20% of the S&P 500 is reporting their earnings. Also, there's going to be data um, related to inflation and what the Fed is doing, et cetera. So prepare for a choppy week, although in the grand scheme of things, all this kind of stuff happens and should be taken with a grain of salt. Um, interesting things that have happened over the last week, specifically have related to some of the wackiness that was uh, exposed in uh, corporate earnings and earnings reports. Um, I saw specifically, this is a quote from um, uh, from Salesforce, uh, Salesforce earnings uh, call um, related to what they were doing uh, internally at Salesforce um, and, and basically utilizing uh, quote-unquote experts to influence corporate policy, specifically according to the Financial Times. Uh, according to one person familiar with the company, both musician Will I Am and ac- actor Matthew McConaughey are frequently involved in strategy discussions at the company, distracting from normal business. An outsider who has intended, attended internal Salesforce meetings also expressed surprise at bumping into celebrities at high-level corporate discussions. Um, so, and then also, <laughs> I also saw that uh, Google, as a part of their uh, earnings report, they reported that they had to cut 1,800 employees in California, including 27 massage therapists. And then lastly, <laughs> lastly this is from uh, Microsoft's earnings report. Interestingly enough, Xbox revenue was down 12% uh, last quarter, while LinkedIn revenue was up 10%. Uh, over the last quarter. So Xbox down 10%, their business segment, but all of a sudden people are starting to look for work and LinkedIn's up 10%. So Doug, I just gave you a couple uh, couple of different tidbits. I want to hear your thought process behind uh, uh, what was going on at Salesforce and bringing in Will I Am, who's a uh, musician and act- actor Matthew McConaughey into strategy discussions from Google's massage therapists to uh, Microsoft. Uh, having seen some uh, some interesting, I, cr- I, I think that this this remi- this is just basically evidence of excesses that um, that existed in the post COVID world. This has probably been going on for years, in which these tech companies with low cost of capital, with uh, VC money that was pouring in, with no real requirement to show uh, earnings, but just show growth, whether it's users or revenue or whatever. And so to entice more employees to come, to pay them these crazy packages, to have restaurants on site with free meals, to have uh, massage therapists. You see like these meditation rooms that some of these uh, companies have on site. You have like a people describe Facebook's campus in Palo Alto as sort of a Disneyland. And so all this is just um, evidence of no real requirement to show earnings and earnings growth, but just requirement to show uh, user growth, uh, revenue growth, and market share capture, and then compete for top talent to do that. The market has completely shifted in the last 12 months. Now we want free cash flow. Now we want earnings. Now we want uh, you know lower debt, et cetera. And so 
uh, a lot of these excesses are coming to light that people really didn't care about before. So I think this is another just version of that. One thing that uh, we've heard in the last several years that it turns out is, is false is that there's this whole software is eating the world concept that Mark Andreessen uh, coined several several years ago with the idea that um, this is a not a cyclical industry, that it's a secular shift to software, which may be the case, but it doesn't mean that these companies and these industries themselves are not cyclical. Competition comes, people reduce their spend because of you know in recessionary environments or economic slowdown, and so. Just like any other industry, like oil and gas, you know, seven or eight years ago, when that cyclical downturn took place, we're just having a cyclical downturn in technology now and, and seeing the results of that. All right, Doug, to that uh, point, we, I, I, while you're talking about it, we talked about this offline, that when we were in college, everybody, everybody who was anybody wanted to go into oil and gas. And because we graduated 2009, 2010, when that was a thing, and then over the last several years, that really became everybody wanted to get into tech and VC and private equity. I actually remember reading an article, and this is a direct quote about um, the state of the oil and gas education uh, industry or education uh, programs in Louisiana. But uh, so this is from so here's how students responded to job losses at LSU and, and, L, and UL Lafayette, the only petroleum engineering programs in the state. LSU enrolled 801 petroleum engineers in the fall of 2015, 649 in 2016, 478 in 2017, 327 in 2018, and 197 in the fall of 2019. Uh, UL Lafayette had very similar numbers. This is from an article. I remember reading this article. This is from February of 2021. Um, the narrative on that has really changed dramatically. Yeah, now people, now it's 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 sexy again to be involved in uh, in the energy sector. And, uh, and so again, at some point in time, it's going to shift back to startups, VC. We may be seeing the beginning of this with, uh, uh, artificial intelligence and the whole chat GPT, uh, concept. And, and now there's a huge wave of investment dollars and mind share going into AI and, uh, machine learning. And so maybe we're seeing the early stages of this next wave in technology that it went from software, social media apps to like a blip for blockchain. And then is now the, the next potential big thing is AI and machine learning. And, uh, and I, I could see that happening, but again, these, these things go in cycles. And right now we're seeing the, the the good thing about the technology sector is that it, the cyclical component, the cyclical downturn is is somewhat comical because they these companies made so much money that uh, they were spending it in the most ridiculous ways instead of whether it's uh, actually doing productive expansion, uh, paying down debt, paying uh, dividends, or having share buybacks. Uh, just to recruit some of this talent, they were making ridiculous investments like having an entire suite of, uh, massage therapists or, um, or, you know, one thing that we've seen is like chefs on site making gourmet meals for the entire company every single day, breakfast, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. People were buying these stocks regardless of whatever they actually, the underlying fundamentals did. I mean, this is, this is emblematic of what you're saying from, this is a tweet from compounding quality. It's never invest in the next big thing. It's $10,000 invested in each respective company and what it's, that your $10,000 is work, worth from the peak. 
$10,000 invested in Carvana is worth $103 and Peloton is worth $503. Beyond Meat, which I've tried before and it's disgusting, by the way, is worth $519. Coinbase, $700 and so on and so on. Um, yeah, so never get if you if you notice this sort of uh, animal instincts um, urging you to, to jump on a bandwagon, it's probably probably not a good good time to be or on. get off or get off of it in time. That's the problem is like so many people made a ton of money in these stocks for and if they exited at the right time, so you bought it in 2020 and sold it in 2021. Um, but the, the the way that you know at least that we think as investors is is not trying to time it and exit is, is to buy businesses. Um, right. That's a great transition to this next statement. Warren Buffett net, net worth. This is from decade investor, Warren Buffett net worth at 92, $107,900,000,000, million, $107.9 billion, amount that came after his 52nd birthday, 107,000,000, 0.524. That is the power of compounding, close quotes. So, yeah, so this is a, there's an interview. It was a 60 minutes interview of Warren Buffett and talking about his um, rise to an investing stardom. And the interviewer asked a question, you know, when did, uh, when did everything click for you? And, and he talked about reading Benjamin Graham and the intelligent investor. And before he read that book, he was buying and selling stocks with the idea that that's a negative, that he, instead he should be buying and buying really, uh, and maybe occasionally selling businesses. And once he shifted his mindset from a stock trader to an owner of businesses that happen to be publicly traded, you don't really know what the stock of that business is going to do on a daily basis. But if you understand the underlying fundamentals of the business and understand the need of that particular business from the consumer base and that it's going to grow its revenues, grow its earnings, grow its market share over a long period of time and then distribute some of those earnings back to shareholders in the form of dividends or share buybacks, then uh, then you don't really care what happens with that particular stock over the short term. You're owning a collection of businesses that should grow over time because uh, they sell products and services that customers want at ever increasing prices year after year because they have pricing power. And so um, that narrative hasn't existed for a long time. It's starting to reemerge because what would happen in 2020 and 2021 is you buy the next big thing and you hopefully sell it for higher. Uh, that could be a cryptocurrency and that, or that could be a tech stock, that could be some software, et cetera. Um, and now all of a sudden people are saying, wait, when are these businesses gonna earn money? When are they gonna pay dividends? Uh, and as soon as that particular mindset shifts, then the Warren Buffett strategy or you know, others like him starts to take hold. And so uh, we're big proponents of that is you know, we don't know what the market's going to do over the next um, you know, months or years, really. Uh, but if we buy a collection of businesses that are growing their revenues and earnings and have pricing power and customers like them, then um, we feel pretty good about long term prospects. This is a bit of a digression, but have you seen the uh, Warren Buffett documentary on HBO? About how he goes to McDonald's? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. So he has this, he has this philosophy about, uh, about you know, owning businesses and everything like for the long term. But he, he, everybody has their own you know, weird psychological tics. And Warren Buffett, even though he believes about this about owning businesses for the long term, and it obviously shows in his 
uh, net worth and his accumulation and everything. Still, he he rewards himself. He eats McDonald's every day for breakfast, and I think he drinks like cherry coke every day too. So he, he, disgusting. it's disgusting, he's right? Like, but anyway, he he, uh, he if the markets are down in a given day or his positions are down, he get he goes to McDonald's for breakfast and only gets himself a a plain biscuit. And then if it's like an average sort of day, he gets he'll get sausage on it. And then if it's a nice day, he'll get a sausage full sausage McMuffin. So. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he's a, you know, when you have genius like that, there's obviously some uh, odd traits, but that's one of his in in that particular case. Yeah. Um, On that same theme, you shared a a chart from uh, BlackRock, uh, Morningstar, and Forbes that put this together as the sort of the investing versus gambling mindset. And this this is along the same theme that over time, the odds of making money if you're an investor and, and not somebody that's trying to flip uh, stocks on a daily basis, becomes increasingly high. Um, this chart shows time horizons starting at one month and going out to 15 years, the odds of losing money versus the odds of making money. And we've shown this chart several times in client meetings just to reiterate our our stance on own stocks for the long run as, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Professor C- Jeremy Siegel would say. Uh, time horizon, one month, you have a 62% chance of making money in equities. This is the S&P 500. So 62, two-thirds of the time, you make money in, in on a one-month time horizon. One year, it's 75% of the time, so th- three-fourths of the time you make money. Five years, it's 89%. Ten years, 95. Fifteen years, 99.8% of the time, markets are positive. Uh, now, just a general positive market, so like a 1% return would not be good over a 15-year time frame, but the, it, it, it drives home the point that the longer you're invested in markets, uh, the odds of success are higher. Markets average a return of somewhere between 9 and 10% a year uh, throughout history, and so you begin to accrue the probabilities of that sort of return over a very long period of time not by being a stock trader, not by trying to find the next big thing, but just by accruing uh, earned income through dividends and capital appreciation over very long periods of time. And that's what Buffett has done since, what? how old was he when he had? Uh, 52. At 52, he had $300 million. Now at 92, he has one point, close to $1.8 billion. Uh, $118 billion. $118 billion now? So they have yeah, you said $1.8 billion. Oh yeah, hundred one hundred and eight billion dollars is where what he has right now. Right. He has at at his fifty second birthday had round numbers about three hundred and fifty million. So it's been a tremendous, obviously a tremendous gain for him over that period of time. Yeah, and he's done. Uh, the expectation would not be to compound at the same rate of return that Warren Buffett has, but the same philosophy holds that if you own a collection of high quality businesses or an index of high quality businesses. And hold it for a long period of time, you'll likely do fine. Right, you probably would still be a multi-billionaire if you just got the market-related return over the last forty years, and that Buffett's been investing with that starting amount. So, right, exactly. um, And but so here's the issue with with the you know the investing versus gambling. You just went through that that dichotomy of returns or the percentage difference in returns over periods of time in the stock market. You have to be willing to grind through some horrible times, like. The worst single year, for example, in the stock market 
is negative 43.8%, which was, I guess that was, this is from 2000, this is nineteen. That's calendar year, right? This is calendar year returns. So what year is that? Is that 2009 or is that going back to the Yeah, depression? probably early, early part of 2009 um, or late 2008. If it's a calendar year, it has to be 2008, but I think peak to trough in two, that, between 2008, 2009, overlapping in a year was is, was greater than 50%. That's horrible. So, yeah, you, it's easy to look at these things and say, okay, well, 15 years, I know that 99.8% of the time I'll have positive returns. And if you look at the 20 years, it's 100% of rolling 20-year periods. The markets have never been negative. Historically, this is historic data, obviously. there's you know those, These trends get broken and rules get broken all the time. But anyway, the issue is, is that even with that historical data set, the way that what you've had to grind through in order to get to that eventuality has been horrendous. I mean, you've had to you've had to deal with fifty percent haircut multiple times, and that's happened to Warren Buffett multiple times over the course of his time frame. The difference between Warren Buffett and your average investor is that he has the ability to go buy himself a biscuit that morning and keep doing what he's doing and keep in, keep stay invested in these businesses. Versus the normal person just basically says, I can't take it anymore and wants to get out, usually at the worst possible time, and then wants to buy back in at the, likewise at the worst possible time. Um, but yeah, the, the, other, the other side of that, too, is your, your, your uh, average person, um, your, your normal investor, is relying upon the value of that portfolio to fund something in the future, whether it's retirement or you know, legacy or whatever. Um, you know, Warren Buffett doesn't have that sort of mindset that if I get have a fifty percent drawdown, I may not be able to recover from this because I have to spend X amount of dollars a year to meet my living needs. So there is that like that that framework that Buffett has that there's he's a he's not going to spend one hundred and eight billion dollars. So if he goes from one hundred and eight billion to you know fifty five billion, then you know so be it. Right, he's um, still doing everything he wants to do, which is. You know, eating eating McDonald's, McDonald's and cherry. He's, he flies private. Right. That's his his right. splurge. But even so, though. if you go from if you go from five million to two and a half million, and you're and you're sixty two, and you plan to retire at sixty five, there's a different. There's just a different mindset there. That's where portfolio management comes into play. And, right. You have to tell your uh, wife about that, and you know, so have to wait to. All right. So that's a different, totally different mentality than than Buffett. You're absolutely right. And just to show you how unique Warren Buffett is, this is a table. Global millionaires and billionaires. This is from uh, Plan Maestro. The number of people over $100 billion in 2021, which Warren Buffett fits in that category, is nine people in the world. Um, it's, I mean, we, we get, we, we work with people, generally speaking, that have over a million dollars. There's only, um, or, or over $10 million, so there's only 60 million people in the world with between one and $10 million. Only 1.7 million people in the world with between 10 and 100 million, between 100 and a billion, only 73,000 people. So it's it's a very micro uh, viewpoint of the world that Warren Buffett's obviously obviously living in, and the the uh, wealthy people um, that we deal with on a on a regular occasion also fit within a very small percentage of the world. What's the world population now? Like seven billion or something like that? Eight, yeah. Eight billion, right? So it's less than. Less than one uh, percent that have over a million dollars, basically. Yeah, and that's uh, it's so funny that like the the financial media, at least recently, is that good news is negative. So wage growth 
or low unemployment or all this kind of like what you would intuitively think is positive is has been negative for stocks because the um, at least the market believes at this point in time that uh, positive mu uh, news means higher interest rates and higher interest rate rates are negative for stocks and for bonds. And so um, it's just it's funny to be in a world in which uh, the vast majority, the vast, vast majority of people that really just care about uh, keeping their jobs and, and maybe getting a raise um, or like are, eating or e yeah, uh, are you know, are they don't like the inflation numbers that have come out, but inflation's come down the last three months. So if you have lower inflation, but higher wage growth and um, low unemployment, that's like a Goldilocks scenario for uh, most everyone in the world and, and, uh, or in America, at least this is American data. And then for the investor class, um, and, and people that we deal with, which is a much smaller percentage of the population that are paying most attention to their, uh, their stock portfolios, uh, it's, it's negative news. And so it's, uh, it's just a weird, um, weird uh, version of society that we're paying attention to that, um, that most most people uh, should view what's going on in the economy right now, at least the last couple of months, as positive as uh, decline in inflation without a uh, you know in major increase in unemployment. So, it, in terms of things getting looking more positive, um, the big issue, as we all know, over the last year and a half, really, has been the inflation issue, and that you know it's just things are way more expensive than they. They used to be, and that inflation data had picked up dramatically. Good news is that it's falling, uh, and hopefully that trend continues. This is six-month CPI inflation on an annualized basis. So if you look at things over the last six months, they really basically inflation numbers really picked up. And that, if you look back uh, 12 months out or six months out in, in, in 2021, the numbers looked huge because we we're starting at such a low number. But as thing since we're since we're starting to get 6 12 months out from some really high inflation numbers the the, the inflation on a relative basis has really slowed down in december of 2022 6 month cpi inflation on an annualized basis was to, right around 2% so if that trend continues the fed should be satisfied and can uh, therefore chill out on what they're doing from a tightening standpoint and the market should respond positively to that so we'll see Another positive um, uh, development over the you know, recent months is that China is starting to open up. And from according to the Financial Times, the amount of flights uh, that China has in, internationally and domestically over the last 12 months is up almost like 150%. So the economic engine um, that has been kind of uh, on ice in China should hopefully likewise uh, be a, a positive catalyst in 2023 and beyond, relative to to some of the to the uh, narratives that that China hasn't really been a contributor, supply chain interruptions, et cetera. Likewise, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see how that we'll see down. how that impacts the I get the potential negative there is inflation picking back up because of demand in China, um, but we, that's just a that's a question right, that's mark a that's point. out there right now. Is uh, you basically had this sleeping giant from a consumption perspective for the last almost three years that is just waking up, and as inflation numbers are coming down, 
they're they're starting to come out of this COVID lockdown, and what does that do to consumption going forward? Now it will ease supply chain pressures, right? So that was a big component of of inflation. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's crazy, Doug. Like, have you seen all these luxury brands are doing like uh, Louis Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy is a stock. It's LVMH is at all time highs right now. Um, the, the Chinese are notorious. That's one of their biggest markets for, they love luxury goods basically as a culture. Uh, Hermé is likewise at basically at all time highs. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. The, uh, and you would presume that the, that now that China's out of, um, out of lockdown, that they're going out and doing what, what we did as a culture in the immediate aftermath, which is going to spend money on stuff. And that's, they, like, like I said, they, they, the big the big markets for a lot of these uh, luxury uh, goods providers are in Asia, and so it's interesting to see that that sort of bounce back, even though the markets are still off like fifteen percent. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back um, next week, I think, with a guest. Um, uh, maybe not, but we'll uh, actually our guest is going to be a week following. But we'll be back next week with current events, and uh, by the time we're talking next week, we'll have. Uh, more information on what the Federal Reserve is going to do with as it relates to interest rate hikes because they're meeting uh, on the 31st of January and the 1st of February to discuss uh, the February hike. So we'll uh, talk about that next week. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. And please like, uh, comment, and share with friends so we can continue to grow the audience. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.